from Genesis chapter 3 and includes verses 14 and 15 and 20 to 21. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And from verse 20 to 21. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And the second reading, Romans 5, verses 6 to 11. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For once our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. And I'd just like to say I often think, where would we be if God hadn't have given Christ? And I actually think we wouldn't be here. We think the world would have destroyed itself because our sin would have taken us over to God's side. So praise the Lord, because he is so good. His love has given us his son to save all of us, not just people here. Amen. Hey, we continue with the, um, the series of Romans, and Alistair will be doing most of that. It's just that um, circumstance meant that I did it last week and, and here again this week to do that. Um, but uh, the, the readings today from Romans uh, makes me think of a, a few little bits and pieces. And one thing, I don't know, has anyone read uh, Proverbs recently? Or can, if, you, if you have, or maybe you can recall reading it, there, there are some proverbs which have a structure to them. And it's things like they say, there are three things that dot, 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 four things that dot, dot, dot. Like in Proverbs 30 up here, it says, there are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. And the structure is to emphasize all four. It's just a poetic structure to do that. Uh, and some of you won't know Victor Bourget. Um, if you're a little bit older, you might remember him. Anyone know Victor Bourget? He is funny. Okay. He's lovely. He, he sometimes plays the piano. Uh, I don't know if I've ever heard him play the whole piano before he interrupts himself with a joke. Uh, and he has a saying a bit like this, uh, and he says this. He says, uh, there are three things I always forget. 
Four things I always forget. And he had that same sort of uh, structure as the Proverbs do. And so today, looking at especially Romans verse 6, uh, I, I have that same, a little saying myself for the um, structure and what I do there. I say this, there are two things that stop me from reading the Bible in one year. Three things that slow me down from completing the task. Unplanned interruptions to my day. Planned interruptions to my day. And the single verses in God's word that make me stop and ponder on his awesomeness for a very long time. Don't know if you've ever had that problem too. You stop, you're reading through the Bible, you get to a sentence, you stop, and that's that for the next couple of weeks. Uh, and Romans 5 verse 6 is one of them too. But one of the other verses um, which do this for me that made you know, I stop and pause would be the very first sentence in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I stopped right there for several weeks and tried to picture and figure out that one sentence. In the beginning, God, through his son Jesus Christ, creates time and space and all the atoms to begin absolutely everything that we can see. Everything is perfectly and intelligently designed for his purpose. And then two or three weeks later, when I get onto the rest of the verses, get onto creation week, by then, not only am I far behind my read the Bible in one year plan, but I'm going to get further behind the schedule as I enjoy picturing every moment of creation. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 is another of those sentence, one sentence uh, verses which stopped me from getting through the Bible in one year. As it says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. And this time I'm mesmerized by just one phrase, at just the right time. Exactly what does Paul mean by this phrase? Even the theologian Douglas Moo, who both Alistair and I are reading the commentary on Romans of, uh, pauses on this verse, looks at the phrase and at just the right time, and says in his commentary, this is an interesting and peculiar phrase that Paul uses. In fact, I suspect if I were to look at his unedited uh, version of his commentary, he probably also adds, this verse made me um, slow down and not get through the Bible in one year. I know how he feels. There is no doubt in the fact that Jesus died for us at just the right time through fulfilling every possibility. The probability of doing this being so minute that the only one who could have met such a probability would have to be God himself. And if we want to look at particularly look at the timing of such events, then it's interesting to see uh, in the book of Daniel, one of these prophecies. And so uh, I won't go into all the mathematical aspects of it. Uh, you might want to check it up later on, Matthew, uh, Daniel uh, 9, verse 25. But um, it's interesting to see this Daniel's prophecy because the exact time of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. So the verse says this, uh, the angel Gabriel tells Daniel, now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. So many scholars take the 476 years and 25 days that this would be, starting at Artaxerxes' decree to rebuild the temple, 
which was the 5th of March, 444 BC. So next weekend we can celebrate that uh, momentous aspect. Uh, so that's where it starts, those 476 years and 25 days, uh, to the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, uh, what we um, call Palm Sunday. And even though Jesus has made himself known to individuals, it's at that point that he publicly declares who he is, the anointed one. Uh, and that was 30th of March, 33 AD, as scholars suggest. This suggests extremely precise timing by God in these prophecies. It's amazing, down to the very day. Uh, and as an aside, it might be interesting to note that it's quite possibly that the Magi, the three wise men or the kings who came searching for Jesus as king uh, when he was born, they were from that same area where Daniel had been. And probably the scriptures, the um, signs they were looking for were probably originated from Daniel and from the people who um, worshipped and served God and looked through the scriptures at that time. So it's just interesting to note that the Magi probably got their indications, their ideas, way back from Daniel, centuries later. It's exciting to look back at the greatest event in history and recognise the precise timing of Jesus' death and resurrection. But for a moment, let's consider those who were before Christ, those who lived before Jesus. Some prior to many of these prophecies and many living at a time that these prophecies seem a bit of a mystery. For example, the method of death, the crucifixion of Jesus, wasn't an old form of persecution. And so the description of such would be very foreign to those looking towards the Messiah. Let's look at the first reading from today and part of the very first prophecy that God gives directly to Adam and Eve. So I'm just going to look at uh, verse 15. And God says this, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring, serpents, Satan's, and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Adam and Eve learned that from Eve's offspring will come a man. A Messiah. He would strike and knock off the crown of death from Satan, that serpent of old. And Satan would strike or bruise his heel, unwittingly being part of God's plan of salvation for all mankind, as Jesus' feet were pierced from the nail hammered onto the cross. Adam and Eve didn't have a timeline of when this would happen, but they believed. That's their faith the record of their faith of knowing that the Saviour would come. And I wonder, when Cain was born, did Eve wonder? Is this the man God had said would defeat Satan? And when things went kaput with Cain, did she wonder if Seth was to be the one? And all for those who lived by faith before Christ came, there might have been the same wondering as various heroes came along. Noah, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, the various judges who led Israel into battle. Their, and the other aspect of the patriarchs had to demonstrate their faith and looking expectantly toward the coming Messiah was in their participation in the sacrifice that God taught them of the unblemished lamb. And if you're doing the Lenten devotion, you may have looked into this a little bit more. The act of God uh, in verses 20 to 21 uh, of Genesis 3 where we see him uh, kill an animal, we presume, we're guessing, a lamb, um, to clothe Adam and Eve. And there's more to it than just thinking about clothing their uh, 
physical nakedness. But we wonder if maybe um, that whole thing, rather than just um, killing an animal for clothing, but actually it was to demonstrate uh, a tradition, a routine, where people would do that again and again to show their faith and love, knowing that one day someone would come, the Messiah would come, who would be the sacrificial lamb. Those who carried that faith uh, with a fact to remind them that Messiah would be coming one day. Perhaps that also had the significance in the difference between the offering Abel had and Cain had to God. Have a look into that as you, as you go through the Lenten devotions. But there still remains the question of why did God wait 4,000 years to send his son to die on the cross? Why not earlier? Or why not later? Perhaps a possible answer comes in our understanding of the following verses in Romans from Romans uh, 7 through to 11. And I've been learning that if I get stuck and spend a week or two off schedule um, focused on one verse, then when I get going again reading the Bible, you want to read the next few verses carefully so as not to miss an extremely significant aspect about God's plans. So often we take a verse and it really strikes us, but read around it before and after it to make sure you don't miss some other really important parts. Just as we can only start to understand God's timing and his power and all that he has done, so too these next few verses show us how small our own concepts of love are compared to the almighty God's version of love. To make us understand the enormity of God's love, Paul compares it to a rather self-selected love by mankind. Yes, we'd probably be prepared to die for a family member, a wife or a husband, one of our children. We might even be quite patriotic and be prepared to die for the good of our country in a war. But we would tend to be a little more selective on who we would do that for compared to who God would do that for. In contrast, Paul tells us that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for all of us. Not just for those who did their very best to obey his commandments. Not just for the Jewish nation. Not for, but he did it for all of us and while we were still sinners. And if you're awestruck when you consider the wonders of God's creation and the precision of his word and in Jesus fulfilling every prophecy, then when you try to comprehend God's love for you, it will leave you speechless. We don't just see the contrast between God's love and our attempt of love, but we see the degrees of intimacy in verses 9 and 10 and then on to 11. In verse 9, we see the legal ramifications of God's love for us. It says, And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. We've been made right uh, from God's condemnation. Legally, we are made right, or in other words, justified through the death of Jesus. We regain the legal bond through Jesus. But then in verse 10, we get another degree closer in our intimacy with our God and Creator. Verse 10 says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. This tells us of the bond of that personal relationship with God has also been restored. And from these two verses, uh, showing a restoration of a relationship with God, 
in both legal and personal ways, we are drawn to a wonderful conclusion that Paul states in verse 11. He says this. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Here we have the intimacy of being called God's friend. Paul uses this personal language to emphasize proximity we can now have with God because of Jesus' sacrifice. There's no other religion that offers such an intimacy with their deity compared to the intimate relationship we are offered with this one true God. A God who created everything and could do anything, choosing to sacrifice his own son to draw us back to him. And it's verses 10 and 11 that draw me to a conclusion of how Jesus died at just the right time. And it's just a, a thought of mine. If God is prepared to love you so much that he would let his very own son die so that while we were still his enemies, he found a way to make us his friends and children again. If God were to love us this much, then the reason why Jesus died on the cross some 2,000 years ago and then rose back to life again to live forever was possibly because of this. And among all the prophecies fulfilled, Christ died at just the right time, in fact the perfect timing for when our hearts, your heart and mine, will be most susceptible towards his redeeming love for each of us. Have a think about that. God's timing at just the right time, he looked ahead and, and saw Jason and this person, this person, and knew this was a perfect timing to draw us back to him. And that is pretty amazing. When you ponder on that, then the question I'll leave you is, how will you respond to this king of love? Let's take some time to pray. And again, just a time of silence. Um, but you can pray aloud too if there's something that stirs you and you want to share with the rest of us. Just take time of how we would respond to this king of love. Lord God, as we read your word, as we ponder upon it, there are things which simply blow my mind. Things that I stop and pause and I, I can't comprehend it all, but I love just trying to imagine your greatness. And Lord, sometimes there are things which get in the way of us understanding it. Lord, we, we think about you, the king of love. Sometimes even as, as guys, uh, it seems awkward to think about that. And yet, Lord, we are all your creation. And so the meaning of that is so much greater than we can comprehend in human terms. And I want to thank you, Lord. I thank you that here you've, you've created, through Jesus Christ, the word, this world, this universe, everything in it. Nothing was left chance and those who had faith in you before you came to walk this earth Lord they, they had this faith to trust in you that you would come and through that faith they were saved and those who walked among, among with you when you were here on earth Lord who, who got to hear you speak and teach and, and saw you face to face and yet still there are so many things that they couldn't quite understand, Lord. And here we are today, 
we're coming to you, Lord, and we declare our faith in you, our stand to serve you. Lord, there will be many things that we don't get right, many things we quite don't quite understand. There will be differences of opinion. But Lord, you've come to save not just us here. As Jill said, you came to save every human being at just the right time. Lord, I pray that today, this week ahead, the time you give each of us, that we'll listen to your spirit, that we'll see where you are calling us to go out and share the good news, to be able to explain it in the right words so that other people might understand it and comprehend it. Let it be known throughout this community, Geraldine, around the district, in this nation and in this world, that you are Lord and Saviour of us all. In Jesus' name, amen.